Welcome to the latest edition of the Irish Rally Podcast. This episode is brought to you in association with J&J Services, main agents for Hobbywell Welding Gas, the rent-free gas bottle. Welcome to another edition of the Irish Rally Podcast. On this week's show, I'd like to be joined by Rory Kennedy, four-time Irish Tarmac Championship winning co-driver. And Rory, great to have you on the podcast. Um, look, it's unfortunate, I suppose, the, the first topic we have to talk about when we have you on the podcast is... is the death of, of Brian Patterson, who sadly passed away during the week at the age of, of, of 76. Brian is someone who you obviously knew very, very well. And, um, you know, we'll begin there, I suppose, by paying tribute to Brian. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Kevin. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. And um, um, I suppose it's, uh, it's, it's very fitting in the week it's in it, uh, where, um, where everybody's um, sort of... I was shocked even to come to terms with the, the news that uh, Brian Patterson had left or has had died during the week or died earlier in the week, which is um tragedy for the motorsport world in Ireland. Um as as you know, like Brian's been has been involved in rallying for longer than I care to remember. He's even at it longer than I am. I'm sure he's nearly fifty years in the game. And he's almost one of those ca- characters who's ever present through all the decades of rallying, you know, from way back in the 70s, right through until the present day. And, you know, Brian was, you know, he was um, uh, a very, very talented journalist, first of all. And he was very much part of the specialist motorsport journalists in terms of whereby any of the um, any of the motor publications in the UK and Ireland relied on Brian to come up with the proper story and the true account of the events. And because of his in-depth knowledge, of the events and also of the competitors, each and every crew and team in the rally. It was a very reliable source to source any information from and pretty much it was spot on and it was very well received and very well respected by the entire rally fraternity. And I mean, that goes all the way down to competitors, drivers, co-drivers, uh, all the teams, mechanics, tire men, and also not forgetting the organizers who also relied on them for feedback on their, because he was the he was the first person to go around the stages, if you can imagine, to to do his own notes. Obviously, as he he did, um, he provided a commercial notes for many many years. So really, he provided a sort of a, a final draft for the organizer and through the stages, made the notes and made recommendations to the organizers as well. So, like, it was a huge part of rallying through the years, and really a friend to everybody. Yeah, indeed, and as you touched on there, you know. Spread kind of covered all the bases is probably the best way of putting it because everyone that has followed Irish rallying over the years will be, you know, very familiar with with the rally news sheets that you'll be getting, and they were kind of almost the sole thing to keep people informed that were out in the stages because you didn't really hear a whole lot about it elsewhere. Yeah, for sure, it was um, it was a unique way of doing it. Like uh, that all developed from many many years ago when they had the Ballyrain Bugle for the Donegal Rally way back in I think it was the either late seventies or very early eighties. And Plum Tindall and, and uh, Brian Patterson and Liz Patterson were very much part of that. And the rally news sort of evolved from that. And, you know, even the, if you think about it, to, to collate all the information and, you know, to put it all on paper and type it up and print it and copy it and, and then bring it out and distribute it. And I'm not quite sure how many, how many copies were distributed each time, but there were takers everywhere you went, those uh, rally bulletins, right up to date information. And, you know, that was long before mobile phones, long before the internet, long before the instant results or instant reaction that we find now with all um, with all the other 
mediums of, uh, of uh, or all the other platforms that provide this sort of information at the drop of a hat. But it was essential back in the day, and it was something everybody loved. I, for one, after an event, particularly an event that we did well in, I, for one, always got um, a full set of bulletins. On the Monday or the Tuesday after the rally, I sat down and read the whole lot back again. You know, it really was um, a great way of doing things. And uh, a good friend of mine, James O'Brien from Cork, there's another very famous co-driver, sort of summed it up this week in saying that, you know, Brian was a great friend to everybody. He provided a service, really, that was unique. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it was very much a part of rallying in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. And, you know, only more recent times, the other um, modes, of, um, modes of communication sort of came along and sort of made uh, the rally bulletins sort of redundant. Yeah, and I know James and the lads, you know, just one of multiple posts that came up on Facebook over the last couple of days paying tribute to Brian. And there was um, one that kind of really nice feature in particular was uh, the one from CRS Photography when Brian's actually chatting to um, Paul Nagel and he got the cigarette in the mouth. And it's just one of those kind of unique looking photos, like, and I just thought it was great, you know? Yeah, like Rain, Rain Hale or Snow, he was out there doing his job, like, and more often than not, with the weather we have in Ireland, you can be sure it was raining. And, you know, yeah. he was always there at the end of the stage. And, you know, he had a very, he had a very good way, you know, because like all top sportsmen, you know, rally drivers are no different to golfers or footballers or whatever other sportsmen you want to talk about. Like, But they're no different in terms that they have bad days as well as good days. So you might go to an event whereby normally you'd be expected to be right in the hunt and maybe one in the event. And maybe you're having one of them days where it just wasn't happening. And uh, he was taking your times and he was looking at you as much as says, what the frig's wrong with boys? And, you know, you're just having a day that it wasn't particularly happening the way you wanted it. And he had a great way of conveying that when he, when he did a great skill and conveying that in the rally bulletins, you know, and uh, everybody I'm sure, <laughs> everybody I'm sure has got a mention in that, in that, from that angle through the years. But also I'd like to say that one of the highlights for me way back in the day was whenever you first made the bulletin, you know, yeah, it was a very proud moment when you first found your name or your driver and a co-driver on the bulletin for whatever reason, whether you were in the top 10 or leading your class or third in your class. But Brian was a great man that he, he was a real rally man at heart. He competed himself before he started doing this. And he, he, everybody was inclusive. Like, and it didn't matter if you're number one or number 101 or so on, you still got, the praise from Ryan whenever it was due, like that was great. That was a, always a, uh, a significant moment when your name appeared on the bulletin, like. <laughs> yeah, and like a, a very infamous um, montage that struck the mind straight away was when you and Bertie obviously won the 1990 championship down at the Rally of the Lakes, which is obviously the tail end of the year that time. You know, at the end of Plum, Tim, Tim, uh, Plum Tindall's production, rather, just at the very end, it showed the Rally News document and your name is up on top, like, and, you know, it yeah. captured a very nice moment as well because that's, that's, you know, while it was called unofficial in many ways, that was it, sign sealed, delivered officially. You were taking it as gospel, weren't you, like? Oh, I, when it was on there, it wasn't any gospel. I, you could, um, uh, you know, that sort of brings the message or just brought it home as such, you know, but like, it, it was a great friend to everybody in Rally and Brian was, and, you know, and I've been that right across the board. I often had a cup of tea with him. And in fact, this week I sat and I just looked up my phone there and I checked back some of the texts and messages we exchanged, you know, through the years there. And it was very, it was very nice to read back through them. And he was always, you know, 
like I say, he was he was a proper uh, respected journalist as well, like, and he could sort of um, in a unique way write in the articles as well that he really brought he really brought an accurate account of the event uh, home, and that's why you know quite frequently he had articles from Water News, Autosport, and various other publications, and you know to have something like that, and he had an intimate knowledge of Irish rallying from from number one to number one hundred and one to number one hundred and fifty one, all the competitors all the organisers and teams throughout. And he was quite happy to sit down with anybody and have a cup of tea and shoot the breeze and have the crack about rallying. Like, he's a very knowledgeable man. And I was very proud, I must say, to know him. And, and um, uh, definitely um, uh, had the ben- when we had the benefit of having him here, he was um, just a very, very big part of the rally fraternity for the past 40 years, more or less. And just in terms of the pace notes, that was a massive deal, obviously, at the time, because, you know, when, when you were starting out, pace notes were only kind of becoming a, a thing at that stage, a real thing. And he saw the gap there, and I think he got some help from uh, Terry Harriman, I believe. And, um, you know, he was a kind of a pioneer of that, really, wasn't he? Well, he was, uh, right back from the very introduction of pace notes again, back in Irish Ryan. He was right there. And, of course, he provided, by, by virtue of doing that, he provided a foundation pretty much for the entire rally fraternity and how to make pace notes. So everybody started off and used Patterson's notes and got to the point then, you know, as they got quicker and evolved in the sport, they discovered then that the next step was to make your own notes. The next step forward and speeding up your own performance was making your own pace notes. And the foundation that was set by using the Patterson notes, and quite a lot of people evolved from that, you know. And even, if I remember right, Eugene Donnelly and Paul Kelly used Patterson's notes right up through the 2000s, where they were winning all them rallies on a very frequent basis, like so, you know, they were very, they were very good at what they did, like, and you again, very reliable and something you could depend on when you're, you know, at high speed, like. Yeah, and obviously we, we pass on our regards Just, to Liz and and Michael and and Chris and Jordy and David and lads there, there as well on a very difficult week. Um, for the family, yeah. um, Rory. Just just moving aside, then the other big news, I suppose, this week um, was the cancellation of the the Wexford Stages Rally, which we had kind of harboured many hopes on going ahead. And I know even even up as far as last night when we were chatting about getting onto this podcast here, we were kind of just before I think, or just in around the time I was chatting about coming on and we were shooting the breeze. I think I only just got off the phone and we see the Wexford cancel and. Look, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but I suppose very understandable at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, the bulletin reads that it was postponed, not cancelled now. Well, that means well, okay. we can read something into the future there. But anyway, that's what it reads. But first of all, you have to commend the Wexford Motor Club and taking the initiative that they were going to run this event. You know, back over a month or six weeks ago, they put it out there that they were going to do this or they were going to work towards it. And, you know, when there's no other rallies happening, virtually anywhere at that point. It was encouraging to see that and hear that from the Wexford Motor Club. So they need to, you know, they need uh, huge credit for that. And as I understand it, had, you know, had, um, had a lot of planning, a lot of work done up until now. Um, so it's an event I've done a few times, but not many times. But I do remember the Wexford stages uh, are very challenging and um, very challenging, and I had a very bad accident there one time, if I remember right, uh, with him and McCafferty, and many, 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 many years ago. But a uh, very, very good event, and always um, one we would uh, we would try to do on a yearly basis, way back many years ago. But um, top marks them for taking it on them to try and do this, but really with the government restrictions and sanctions and 
even with the most recent development, which happened in the announcement today, it's no wonder, really, that um, this event is in jeopardy. And it's, not, and it's probably, you feel, I feel sorry for the organisers. I'm sure they've done everything they could. Motorsport Ireland, I should have direct if there were only Irish competitors and, crew, and teams could take part. So that minimised or reduced the possibility of entries there alone. Like, so, um, look, it's a shame it's not going to happen, but we'll have to understand the reasons why. And I suppose, really, you just have to uh, go along with it, and that's too bad, really, at this stage that the event's not going to happen. Is it something you were kind of eyeing up, given the fact that there wasn't a whole lot else happening this year, that you were maybe going to try to get a spin down there? Well, it wasn't out of the question, absolutely. Um, I've been doing a few rallies with John Bonner uh, in the past year or two, and I'm R2, and he's, um, he had sort of mentioned to me about the Wexford rally, and of course, there was nothing certain at that point, so we said we'd consider it, because we are just waiting away, I think. Was it the 5th of August? Was it, or what was the final yeah, deadline? Yeah, 6th and 7th of September, I think it was. First week of September. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think at one point they said they would confirm, you know, during the month of July, they said at some point. In oh, August. that's right. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, the, 5th, the 5th of August was yeah. when they were going to issue the regs if the event was going to happen or so on. But yeah, and long anyway, before it's we very understandable. On the it's very understandable, and I say, in view of what's happened even today in the announcements and, and the increased, um, the increased uh, cases there, it's, it's really no wonder that this isn't going to happen now. Yeah, yeah. And look, you just don't know. I mean, from from the get-go with, with this podcast, when I was chatting to Mick Cody about it, obviously the guys were very much going home for it for it to happen. But, like, there's an asterisk beside everything at the moment. And, you know, I was chatting to a couple of guys in, involved in GA and stuff, and it's just one of those things. There's an asterisk with everything. There's an element of doubt. And I think you really can only go from week to week, can't you? Seems to be the way it is. I am back to hearing the GA that we're saying on the radio today that, uh, they need to take a bit more responsibility and locally and, and, and um, maybe not have as many um, outings or as many games. Like, just heard that in the radio today. I was a bit surprised, like, locally. But anyway, it's, it's, it's just um, the times we're living in at the moment. And, you know, it's um, everybody has to take personal responsibility and, you know, do their bit. And um, a lot of sports are affected drastically. But look, that's only one part. You just pity anybody who's been affected by this and, yeah. Um, you know, has to deal with it, and really, that's where the real hardship lies. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I suppose the other the other thing to note as well is that um, I think the Clarny Historic Rally did have another day possibly secured. Again, it's all subject to what may or may not happen. But um, yeah, look, hopefully we're in a position where we can see something kind of going ahead. But it's like it's very difficult on the likes of you guys. I mean, how how have you kind of been punching in the weekends? Because this is obviously alien to everyone but for you guys that love the sport that would have been out very very regularly how difficult has it been kind of come weekend time and, and what are you kind of doing to fill the void yeah well we're as you know we're every year we've had a chance we're competing in a championship and we had about six or seven or maybe eight rallies a year you know major rallies and obviously that's all gone now so oh, we're no different than anybody else Kevin we just have to have to deal with it and um, I do a good bit of cycling and stuff like that as well and uh, so I, you know, I've spent a good bit of time at that. But oh, you miss doing it, and you know, it's not just unique to Ireland. This, this is pretty much across Europe. Anyway, there's some events beginning to roll out in Italy there now, and even in Portugal, there. See, so you know, it's beginning to creep back in again. Um, and we all look forward to the day that we we can get back out again. But there's not a lot to do, and I suppose same as any other sport. Hey, you just have to uh, grin and bear it, and maybe keep a wee bit fit and just get, just be sure you're ready whenever the time comes when it kicks off again. 
do you have kind of flashbacks to 2001 with the with the foot and mouth? I know that was obviously a very difficult year for for more than more than the foot and mouth um, on your behalf because obviously Bertie and Mark had passed that, that year as well. But like, you know, is it is there some kind of comparison to be made to that year at all? In that you know, there was obviously nothing happening. Like, yeah, well, virtually no rallies at all in 2001 in Ireland. But quite a lot of the boys um, went to Belgium that year. You know. Uh, it was quite frequent to have Irish drivers going to, you know, going to uh, Flanders and going to Ypres and going to Hasselengau rally, you know. And this is, you know, at, even though it's in Belgium, like it's still it's just probably an additional boat run, like because you know you're still paying for the same hotel and entry fee and so on, like so. Quite a lot of boys went there during during them, but we haven't even got that option now, you know, because really that hasn't been, even been an option, but. Um, 2001 was, as you say, was different for a lot of reasons. But um, I don't know, again, it's hard to say. Just uh, You just hope that the thing uh, is sorted and, you know, there's a vaccine found for this dreadful virus and that we can um, get back to normal as soon as possible. And the the race course sprints, I spoke to Killian Duffy about this. Um, would they be a go or a haul or is that any sort of an alternative? Like, do you know, because they were obviously a big success last time. Different circumstances, I know. Ah, okay. Well, look, it's an alternative, surely, and it's um, it's a day out and it's a bit of crack, and really that's what it's about. But for the more serious competitors who are doing championships, and you know, we go from one major event to the next. You know, every event is is you know, you go with your team and you have a plan on how you're going to compete and what you expect, and you look at the opposition and you weigh it up, and you go out and you try and do your stuff and win the event. But you know, that's the way we approach rallies. Like, in, But when you have an event like a rally sprint, it's all about a crack and you go out and do your bit. And it's a day sport. And I suppose it keeps your hand in there. But, you know, for the club men, it's very good. And, you know, the more that can be encouraged, I think, that I read there somewhere this week that we're even going to allow co-drivers now. So, you know, that's to be commended as well. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, you mentioned uh, the events in Italy there as well, Rory, just while, just while running it. A fantastic victory for, for Craig and Paul last week. Um and it's great to see, I suppose, and it's certainly doing Craig no harm when it comes to maybe getting a more consistent drive at a world level next year, perhaps. Yeah, fair play to them. Fair play to the boys. Um, did a tremendous job in Italy last week, and you know they really showed really showed them from the start what it's all about. And Craig's just his reputation is just growing and growing all the time. And you know when he can go there and do that and uh, beat pretty much the best European drivers that were there, you know. It really, really is doing his harm, doing his chances, no harm at all with Hyundai. And he's he's nominated, obviously, for the next for the next WRC event, which is great as well. That's correct. So, yeah. um, no, it's very good. And he was on the Michelin's this week, you see, or last weekend. So that's, well, you see, a marked improvement compared to Rally Elba the week before that. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't mind me saying that. I, I, I know, I know, I know. He's back, he's back with the, he's back with the MRF guys um, for the next event, I believe, too. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's development, you see. So, uh, whereby Mitchell's obviously already fully developed and tried and tested tire. Like, so, you know, fair play. It's great, great opportunity for them. I'm delighted for them. And, you know, it flies the flag for Irish Rally and two, don't forget. And, you know, we've never been in short supply of drivers and co drivers. Uh, so, it's great to keep the consistency of that going worldwide. Yeah, and I know Callum has kind of had poor enough luck uh, the last couple of events, but he's due out in a couple of weeks again. And 
you know, Callum, Callum's a guy who's been spoken about very, very highly. And uh, <laughs> I do always, I never think of Callum, I think of Cocoa Pops because obviously <laughs> he was asked what you had for breakfast after one of uh, Clean Duffy's interviews, I think. And he's like, oh, I had the Cocoa Pops or whatever. I think it was probably <laughs> gone a couple of years ago or something. But um, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like um, he's a guy who looks like he really could make a break as well. Yeah, he certainly does. Uh, he's had bad luck there recently in them couple of events there, which is um which is a pity like but he got I think he got last week's rally pretty much done. At least he got the experience of doing the stages and so on. There it was near the end when they retired. But um no, Calum's a great prospect and Brian Hoy, great co driver and a great team together. You know, I watched a good bit of their in car and you know, um I have to give them top marks, so they're very good and work very well together. Um no, he's he's one of the top up and coming drivers. Obviously, here in Ireland, he's he's shown great speed last year. On uh, if you remember right in Killarney and Mons Gap, he cleaned everybody, including Greg Breen and all. So you know his undoubted speed, and it's a bit it's a bit like getting it all together because uh, you've just got to not just do it in one stage; you have to do it in all the stages. So um, you know, I've no doubt Calm's going to be right there, one of the top drivers in this country, without a doubt. Like. Yeah. Um. Are we closer now than what we ever were? I suppose to getting consistent results on 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 the world stage. And I'll double this up by asking. I mean, do you think if perhaps you had those opportunities going back in time that you could have made a real fist with? Is there anything there that suggests maybe that in your own mind, Jesus, I, I could have been sitting in with, with one of these kind of big guys? Because I know you competed worldwide and stuff, but on a more consistent level with, with one of the biggest drivers in the world, we'll say. Like, do you ever think back and look at those opportunities or? Was there opportunities there at any stage that you just couldn't come to? I know, I know, money is a massive thing, Rory and stuff. But like, was there ever a situation there where that kind of opportunity presented <clears> itself? <throat> and do you think maybe if you could turn back time and look at what these guys are doing now, that you might have a better chance? Well, um, I had always uh, like I always say or always mention this word ambition. You know, when I'm when I talk about um, uh, competing and what you want to do, you know, what your ambition is really is what drives you. Like. Now, I was quite content because, uh, not forgetting, I had, a, I had a business and six or seven people employed as well. Yeah. And I was heading off to do rallies, maybe seven or eight or nine rallies a year, major rallies, back in the day. And, uh, you know, I relied entirely on my staff to keep the business going. And uh, thankfully, they were excellent. And I'm very grateful to them. And they looked after the business. But we all had good jobs and we we're all working hard to, to make the thing pay. So the priority for me was the business at all times. The sporting end was very good because I got great opportunity and I could pop in and drop out and got lots of opportunities to compete, but it wasn't on every event, but it was enough that I could keep the business going and I could also go and do these events. But to go for full time, it's a very fickle sport, you know, and you only have to look at some of the drivers are out there and even the co-drivers, even the top men, like you're only there for a certain length of time, like, and you know, you have to earn enough during that time to do the rest of your days. So I came from the school of hard work, which is the Fisher School, and I know the first thing you had to do was put bread on the table, and to do that, you had to get up in the morning and go to work, like, and that was my priority. Even though I still had the ambition to do well in rallying, and I'm very pleased that I got as far as I did, and I managed to sort of juggle work and rallying together and get as far as I did. And you know, there may have been opportunity, have been opportunities to go further, but because of the business, I was constrained to some to some extent, like. So I was quite happy to do what I was doing. I was able to balance the two. Yeah, for, no, fair play to you, like, because, I mean, many people would have kind of, um, you know, sacrificed everything, taken a gamble, and ended up with 
absolutely nothing. But when yeah. you look there, yeah. I mean, to me anyway, you're you're probably our greatest ever co-driver. Like, and you see some of the guys that have been out there and won world titles and and been so competitive. And I wouldn't see why Rory Kennedy couldn't have been nervous like one of those. But I know there's a lot of mitigating factors as well, isn't there? Apart from those that we've kind of touched on. There is, of course. I and you know, like. How do I put this? I always compare drivers and co- drivers and co-drivers like golfers and caddies. You know, you watch the golf, the PGA's on there at the moment. You watch that. Eh? Nobody has any idea. They well, most people don't have any idea the, the amount of input a caddy has and to them top golfers' performances. Like, and that's very much like, or it's very akin to a driver and a co-driver. Now, the co-drivers has a lot of input, and you can hear him and see him, and he sprays the champagne at the end of the rally if he wins. Freaking caddy just heads off to the locker room with the, with the golf clubs, you know. But it's a very similar input to the performance. Like, so I mentioned you mentioned Callum there, Callum and Brian Hoy. They're a very good team. If you if you watch their in car and listen how well in tune the two boys are, like that is the first thing you need. You need that sort of connect between the driver and the co-driver that that, that it works, and the two boys have the same target and have the same ambition to do well. That's absolutely what you need to make it work like. So, you know, it's not it's not everybody. I can go and jump go and jump in with Niall McShay and go and do a rally out for and wherever, and we can jump in and it just happens right away. There are some drivers I can jump in and it doesn't just happen because that sort of chemistry is not there, you know. But when you have professional drivers doing a professional job, you need the right boy beside you. You need the same fellow beside you who has the same outlook and the same approach and is there to do the job. And those combinations aren't easy got. They're, you can see them at the highest level in the World Championship. You seldom ever see a change of co-driver between the teams, unless, well, every now and again you'll see it, but you seldom ever, because good drivers find good co-drivers, and that's why they're successful. Yeah. And you strike me as a guy, every in-car I've ever seen, and just in general, ice in the veins. Like, do you do nerves at all? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the first thing you need, uh, the first thing you need, if you're going to be a co-driver, is, is good nerves and a level. I have a, when I sit home, a, you even take on me and Gary Rally, Gary Jennings. There, people tell you Gary's crazy and he's just that and thing. But see, when he gets under the car and the helmets go on and the light goes green at the start of the stage, he turns into a different person. And his approach, like I can sit there and read him the notes as if I'm reading a Sunday paper. And he just drives it. And everything is as calm. There's no drama. Everything is cool. And I know what he's he's able to do the job. He can rely on me to do my job. And everything just happens. And I, we don't always win, don't get me wrong. But we do win quite often as well. And occasionally, if you like. But you need that combination between driver and a co-driver. And like I said before, it's not easy getting that. There are examples of that. Plenty of examples of that in this country anyway. But it's it's a unique partnership. And it's a special partnership, and it's a complex partnership. But when it works, generally the success comes after that. Yeah. And um, is there any particular points in your in your career, I suppose, when you felt you kind of had to rein guys in? Obviously, you had to do it quite regularly. But any kind of standout ones, or maybe kind of funny stories when you felt lads were getting a bit carried away, or how did you crack the whip? <laughs> well, occasionally that that would happen. Um, I'm trying to think somewhere. Uh, Oh, here I've had quite a few accents too, I can assure you, and I've, I have the scars to prove it as well. But um, I'm just trying to think of a couple of incidents that happened, maybe a good example. Um, I know, oh, actually, just before just before you carry on, like 
when when you went off a couple of times with the in-cars, one, one in particular, Roberti, in you go, in you go. It's like you could kind of see it happen just as it's going yeah. to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, most of, these, most of my drivers, the boys I'm with, I don't need much encouragement, mind you. Yeah. <laughs> They're all well on it, but, you know, I, um, that, one, that one you talk off, we had clipped a rock somewhere, and we didn't, rea- we didn't realize we had a front left-hand puncture, but 300 meters later, there was a tight right-hand corner, and he turned in, it wouldn't go in. You know, it wouldn't turn in, so we, we just understeered straight off the road into the shock break. And, of course, I said, then you go, in you go, but there was no going in. Yeah. <laughs> but um, where, where could I tell you something good um, or something extraordinary? Oh, here, look, if you start me, you'll never get me stopped on these things. Yeah. Um, uh, Mark Higgins and me were doing the Manx Rally one time, and we were in the Stobart Group N car. So the whole championship was for Group N cars in that year. Mm. And we're racing Guy Wilkes. And there was one, there's one stage called Drewdale, which is it's the one you go down around Brandywell Cottage, and then you go down the narrow bit. And Mark knows it better than any road in the whole wide world. Like. So we're bombing down there, and I was thinking to myself, we're just very near the limit here, because the car was bouncing all over the place, and just about staying on the road. Like. And I was just reading the notes and trying to stay calm, and trying to give him a wee bit of a, you know, to steady up and, you know, calm it a wee bit like. And of course, I could see it coming before it happened. Like, and we had a bump, and we got onto one of these tank slappers. And the accident took about, I would say, three hundred meters before we, <laughs> before we finally got stopped. But it was one of them ones I could see coming for a good while. But because we we're so competitive, and because the British Championship was at stake, and maybe one in that rally was at stake, you know, we we're really, really on the limit. And unfortunately, that day went over the limit and ended up in the shock and out of the rally. And it was, I could see it coming. Like, and. You know, there's not much you can say, really, and um, these things happen, so it's, it's avoiding them happening, that's what it's all about. Is, like, you know, in, even say up as far as last year and looking ahead to next year, the enthusiasm doesn't seem to have weighed any bit either. Like, do you, do you kind of find that maybe you're that bit more relaxed even again and you're kind of enjoying it, you know, because obviously you're very experienced at it at this stage. Is it a case of just chilling and enjoying it? Or obviously you're still competitive, like, but, I mean... What I'm trying to say is, have you seen a difference in Rory Kennedy maybe 20 years ago to Rory Kennedy now? Or are you the same kind of Rory Kennedy in terms of just, you know, you take the job seriously, but ice in the veins, chilled, no nerves. You know, what, what's the kind of crack there? What's, what's going through the mind? What, what do you kind of think, I suppose, in, in relation to the last yeah. time and how you've evolved? Yeah. Well, obviously, um, 30 years ago, you were a different person 30 years ago than I am today. And I mean, you're young, you're younger, fitter, uh, very impressionable and wanting to make it, wanting to make it happen and in a hurry to get there as well. Like, so, you know, um, I was involved with the Fisher team for uh, 12 or 13 years. Um, we had the best cars, best teams, best mechanics, best everything to make it happen. Like, and that is an education in itself, you know. And, you know, I'm very proud of that period because we won numerous rallies. We won 19 rallies or something to that effect, four championships. And, you know, uh, when you're coming up through it, all of that makes you a better person, better co-driver as well. Because once you get the winning mentality and once you sort of get that into the system, like success really breeds success. And, you know, you, you can, you become better. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're any kind of sport again, as I say, if you're playing football, you're playing GAA, you're a golfer, you're a cyclist, whatever, the more you win, the better you become. And the more that sort of, um, you become more established as such and more confident. And of course, um, 
am now at, I suppose, near the end of my career than the beginning of my career. But I'm still quite happy to go and compete, even with, even with very fast top drivers. Like, I'm quite happy to do that. I feel I bring a lot to the table. I feel um, my experience, I can convey that now to my new drivers and stuff. And really, I learned all that through them years, all the way up, even from the very beginning. Like, so, um, ice, in the, ice in the veins, if you like, but I'm cool enough. I don't get that nervous. I don't get nervous really at all before events. But nevertheless, I like, I like to be sharp and I like to be on the ball. And the way I do that and the way I retain that is my own physical fitness. I work hard on that to, you know, to stay very fit and be able to sit in with these boys. And because when you're physically fit, you're mentally fit. And really, as a co-driver, that's what you need to be like. Yeah, it's so, so important. And it's a piece of advice I'd give to anyone, I suppose, especially with, with, with COVID going on, to, to try and just get out and, and clear the head. Because it's so, so important when, when people don't have the outlet and in this case we're talking the Irish Rally podcast but regardless of what sport it is um, I, I would certainly make that suggestion and I think you've hit the nail on the head so that's what gets the juice flowing for you you feel good when you're out doing a bit of exercise the head is clear and you know you're, you're at your peak then that you can go and do the job yeah yeah for sure I, and something it's, it's great for the, I do it principally because of the rallying and so on but it's great to clear the head as you say it's great, you know, it gives you sort of you know, a quick, quicker step and you're, you're good in fitness, very healthy way to be and a good lifestyle to have. Like, now, not everybody agrees that, but anyway, that's what I do, you know. Yeah. So listen, Rory, um, that's where we are, I suppose, for now, in terms of this yeah, episode yeah. of the Irish Rally Pod. Um, hopefully we'll have a bit of action to, to talk about. I, I did listen to your, your episode with Kevin Lennon Inc. Fine job. Two, two fantastic episodes uh, in two parts. And obviously I, I tuned into Trevor Red News one as well. Um, that, that you featured on and uh, the Sprint boys are doing some good stuff I was listening to Lenny McShay's one during the week so um, we've got some great content at the moment and it's great to be able to listen to all these stories like Well uh, you, you did mention earlier what do we do to pass the time and what do we do now to um, to um, you know to go, uh, keep us occupied well I think we've reinvented ourselves in a lot of ways in particular with the podcasts and there's some unique characters coming up on it and Jerry McGarty was on there one night with the Sprint Championship boys and it was very entertaining because I'm not sure if you know Jerry or not, but Jerry has put in a lot of young drivers through his hands in terms of development and all. Right back to Mark Fisher, Ali Fisher, the Moffats, Stephen Wright. Um, oh, I could go on. Hey, Chris Meek. Um, all, all in through Jerry's, um, if you like, Jerry, Jerry uh, McGarty's Rally Academy. But Jerry was on that night. He mentioned them and the different things that happened. And it was the best bit of entertainment to listen to for a long time. So these type of of podcast, sort of, I know everybody can sit down and spend an hour, an hour and a half, or even more than that, sitting listening to them, but it's entertaining enough if you're driving along to put them on and hear the crack, and people relax when they're, when they're doing them, you know, it's all, it's all the more entertaining, and, you know, it's, um, it's a good thing to do, I'm, I'm a big fan of these podcasts, I'm, I'm pleased I've done a few, I enjoyed doing the few I've done, and I've enjoyed very much listening to all the other people as well, because it's, um, that's just good, good to catch up on a good way of uh, hearing all the old stories. Like. Yeah, and the last thing I'd say on it, like if it wasn't for these podcasts, I don't think we'd be hearing half of these stories. And I mean, it would be just a real shame if we never got to hear some of this stuff, which we've been hearing over the past couple of weeks, you know. So obviously it's, it's a great yeah. thing that we have this kind of medium to, to be able to hear the, the, the stories that likes yourself are telling. Yeah, and it seems to have developed over the past couple of months. Like they've gotten better and better, you know, and um, huge a huge... Uh, a variety of people and different angles and different stories. Like I'm a co-driver and, and 
you know, you've plenty of drivers on there. Uh, we've had um, uh, Jerry, as I say, was on there from the sprint championship, and he overlaps the sprint championship with the rallies as well. And Bill Adair was on there, and Bill is a rally as a tire man, like, and he's been at every rally since as long as I can remember for the past forty years. Well, he competes in the sprint championship as well, so it was great to hear him on as you know different angle, and um, you know he's just very entertaining as well. Some great early irons, like. Yeah, well, listen, Rory, it's been a pleasure having you on the Irish Rally Podcast here, and I, I do hope I'll be able to catch up with you again at some stage, and we'll have a right old chat, uh, some some lovely bits of memorabilia that we, we caught there just before we started the recording as well, and uh, Jesus, that's what I give to be in that room, but thanks a million anyway for, um, for coming on with us here, all right? All right, Kevin, thanks a lot.